Hello, this is Lucas Mangum. Uh, you're listening to Make Your Own Damn Podcast with me and my co-host, Mr. Jeff Burke. Um, and we're uh, we're going to be talking about uh, the first time we had sex, right? No, we're not going to be talking. I am not willing to share that information. You knew what? You know what? I knew that that was going to come up in this episode some somehow. And it's like I talk a lot. I talk a lot publicly, but I keep my private life private. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I um, I figured I would uh, you know, yeah, that was that was what I had. Just get it out of the way right in the beginning. Get, get the so, joke so out of the way. How you lose your, lose your virginity? No. <laughs> yeah. No, we're not talking about that. But we are uh, we are talking about um. Plot twist at the end of the podcast, we find out I'm still a virgin. <laughs> Man, like this movie. Awesome. Uh. Yeah, so um, we are talking about the first turn on, which is a the last of Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hertz's sex comedies from the uh, late seventies, early eighties. This one was in nineteen eighty three, right before uh, Trauma made history with the Toxic Avenger. Um, and yeah, this is uh, also also notable. It, it was. Before Porky's, before American Pie, before Meatballs. And it's uh, very much in that wheelhouse of movies um, that, yeah. that like, once again, Lloyd Kaufman and Troma saw, like, what was about to become super popular, and yeah. they kind of beat everyone to the punch. And you know what? It's not always, it's not always in the, the best to be first. You know, sometimes being first about things... Other people can build upon your ideas, and they're the ones that are actually successful with it. That's and sometimes true. people that like like break ground never really get credit for it. And I feel like with Choma's sex comedies, I like um, I had never seen any of their sex comedies before. You know, preparing to do this episode, this is my first time seeing the first turn on, and I have not seen Squeeze Play. I have not seen Waitress. I have um, not seen uh, whatever the other one is. I'm totally spacing on um, uh oh gosh um i was literally, literally just looking at it we literally <laughs> just went through this right before hit record whatever not important um we'll get to those stuck on you later Sorry. stuck on you thank <laughs> you it's like we literally just listed these all off yeah um i had never seen them before and you know for most fans of trauma that we all kind of know that Troma existed before the Toxic Avenger, but everyone kind of used the Toxic Avenger as the starting point because that's when Troma becomes, you know, Troma in capital letters. Right. And of what we think of them now. Um, so, yeah, this was really kind of interesting to visit, to see what Troma was like before the Toxic Avenger, to see of what kind of directions they were trying to go in to make <laughs> money and to make movies. Yeah. Um, what I like about this one is that you can kind of, I don't know if all of them are like this. Uh, maybe it's just like this because it was right before the change. Like it comes, you know, uh, the, the year, right. The year before the toxic Avenger is released. Um, but you can see the seeds. Oh, you totally can. You totally can. Um, <laughs> here, uh, before we get like totally into that, I have the description pulled up on on Troma's web website. Shall I read that for us? Yeah, please do. All right. 
The first turn-on is a traumatic hit comedy which shows what happens when young, innocent teenagers become initiated by a mature, older, and very sexy woman at summer camp. In the tradition of Porky's, Squeeze Play, and Waitress, this is a film for anyone who wants to laugh and get turned on, watching what happens to a group of innocent kids at the wackiest summer camp imaginable. See the movie that started the acting career of Vincent D'Onofrio um, from Full Metal Jacket and Men in Black, and, and bared the breasts of Penthouse Pet of the Year, Sheila Kennedy. The trauma team even auditioned a pre-material girl Madonna for a part in the movie, but she was turned down. The first turn-on it is always the wildest. Alternative film historian Ronnie Reagan on the first turn on, quote, before there was Toxie, there was sex, and a lot of it. Before <laughs> trauma spearheaded the sex comedy genre, people would have to wear raincoats to see a sexy film. By adding comedy to sex, trauma was paving the way for films such as Porky's and American Pie. That's um, interesting. Yeah, that's probably the best way to sell this movie. However, unfortunately, it gives kind of like two of the the only two real behind-the-scenes pieces of information I have on this movie. Um, yeah. That it featured the first acting role of Vincent D'Onofrio, who, like everyone does associate with Full Metal Jacket, my money, his his defining role is the, the kingpin in the Marvel Netflix Dude, series. Dude, yes. Uh, Daredevil, right? Yeah, Darede he's in the Daredevil, and he's also in um, the Punish one of the Punisher seasons, if I re if I recall. Cool. Right. Yeah, no, he was he was fucking chilling in that. Uh, I, I haven't I actually haven't seen the Punisher one they did, but I saw the Daredevil, and yeah, he oh, was good. yeah he was chilling uh, as uh, as Kingpin. And um, before she was famous, Madonna did audition for this movie. Um, and what's really weird, and we were talking about this before um, recording this episode, that. In that main reference book I've been using, All I Need to Know About Filmmaking I Learned from the Toxic Avenger, the first turn-on is skipped in the book. The production and release of it is not talked about in Lloyd Kaufman's autobiography. Why? I have absolutely no idea. But yeah. he does mention that my Madonna did audition at the Truma offices and that it was Michael Hertz that rejected her for the role. That he didn't <laughs> think that she had, like, you know, the it power to her and i'm sorry michael hurts you were really really wrong on that one history yeah. proved that you made a very incorrect decision there oh my gosh yeah um <laughs> yeah and, and to think they could have you know after she got famous you know repackaged it uh, repackaged the film and probably would have done gangbusters put her on the cover like they did with um uh, Death by Temptation and every copy of it now has Samuel L. Jackson plastered yeah. on the front of it uh, it reminds me of this story. I, I it, do you remember the uh, VHS documentary called uh, "Adjust for Tracking"? Oh, it yes, came out I a did. few years ago. Yeah. So I interviewed the director and I asked him what was the craziest movie he owned because at this at this time he owned like something like eight thousand VHS tapes, like something insane like that. And he said, "I have a movie called Elvira Naked," <laughs> and I was like, "Okay," and he told me the story behind it was it was actually filmed before she was Elvira and it didn't do anything, but then she became Elvira. And so they retitled it as Elvira naked and he tried, he tried to get her to sign it. And she was like, I'm actually suing those people. <laughs> <Right now." laughs> 
Okay, that's that's a pretty amazing story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I'd actually be I'd actually be curious to see that, not for all the reasons that people think. Um, uh-huh. If I was actually like a really like this is going down an odd tangent. We'll get back on the first turn on in a second here. But she's a really yeah. interesting uh, uh, person, way more interesting than you think. I highly recommend that there's a great uh, podcast on the um, on the last podcast network called Page Seven, and it covers pop culture, celebrities, that kind of stuff. And they did an episode about the history of Elvira. And apparently, when she was a little kid, she pulled down a pot of boiling water from the stove on herself, mm-hmm. and most of her body is actually covered in scar tissue. As she wow. as she describes it, the very revealing Elvira costume that she wears shows all the um, all the non-scarred parts of her body. That everything that's covered up, in, including her including her breasts, is actually covered in scar tissue. Okay. And, and I've always been kind of curious over, like, what does that, you know, like, how does she look? Like, yeah. And that's, I've always been, like, kind of morbidly curious over that. But highly recommend looking into Elvira. Really interesting person. Really interesting life story. V- very cool person, sounds like. Yeah, and still at it, too, you know? Oh, yes. Yes, she is. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, going back. So they had the opportunity to get Madonna, and they said no. And yeah. And William D'Afrio is in the movie. Did you spot him in the movie? I didn't. Um, I, I'm i assuming he was one of the kids in the cave. No, he was... Um, we'll get to the scene later, but when they have the... Um, they trick the guy into thinking they're going to do the group masturbation and the first oh, yeah. <laughs> orgasm wins, he's one of the other campers in that oh, scene. Oh, that's fun. And in fact, he has like one line of dialogue and... And at the movie, when all the parents are picking up the kids, and there's like, you know, some of the parents are like, where are our kids at? You see a really big camper run out, and he picks up his really tiny parents. Oh, fun. That's William, that's William D'Afrio. Uh, Vincent D'Afrio. I'm I sorry, the, Vincent yeah. D'Afrio. Yes, thank you for correcting me on that. Vincent D'Afrio. Yeah, no problem. I, uh, I also like him in The Cell as the killer in The Cell. Oh, he's the killer in the cell. See, yeah. I am really bad about, like, uh, celebrities, like the celebrities that everyone else knows. Like, I don't know, but you can get me ranting about, like, Sam Neill and Bruce Campbell and Jeffrey Combs. But yeah. then when we get into, like, these mainstream Hollywood people, I'm always kind of like, who? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't stick in my mind because I'm like... You can see my nerd referencing because my my first thing is like, oh yeah, Kingpin. He was fucking awesome as Kingpin. Yeah, but oh, you know what? Oh, I mean, he's somebody who's like kind of straddled that line between like you know character actor and uh, you know mainstream uh, film actor. I think. And I'm also like very frequently, I guess, like in some ways, like facial blind because I don't always <laughs> connect people are the like the same from movie to movie like you change your outfit change your makeup a little bit you're a completely new person to, to me yeah yeah that's yeah so true. he was he was a villain in the cell which that is awesome i always i always kind of enjoyed the cell i thought that I was too. just for so it's visual weirdness yeah you know? i i saw it with my mom and she actually walked out but i was like yeah i'm staying <laughs> <laughs> Um, unfortunately, I wasn't driving at the time, so I was like, yeah, can you come come get me later? 
So he was also um, in the remake of Death Wish that was um, remade by Eli Roth. And as we know, Eli Roth has ties to trauma. So yes, we had two does. former trauma people there coming together many decades later. That's fun. That's fun. Um, yeah, so do we want to uh, dive into, you know, what, kind of what happens in this movie? Yeah, let's, yeah, let's dive into this. Um, uh, so, yeah, you, you want to kick us off? Yeah, so it's a summer camp movie. I mean, it's, I mean, you've got, you know, this, you know, the camp owner, like, giving a, giving a weird rallying speech on the last day of camp, uh, you know, um, in a cafeteria, um, and, and, you know, the kids are, like, booing him and hissing at him, uh, but, you know, it's the last day of camp, and there, and people are getting into activities, um, the, the main one to focus on, though, I, I would say is, uh, these kids go off to do a nature uh, walk, nature exploration with this kind of hippie counselor. And, and our main characters that we end up following in this movie specifically break off apart from the group because they're going to go smoke wheat, yes. which, which that actually legit surprised me was the amount of marijuana usage in this movie because yeah. this is 1983 and you would rarely see a character smoke weed in the movie, and if they were, you primarily had to, like, already be in the know to understand what was happening. Like, a great example is in um, Poltergeist. The parents, there's a oh, scene yeah. where the parents are, are sharing a joint in the bedroom, but it's never really called attention to it in that movie, and yeah. weed usage is, like, rarely called attention to in this, they're very explicit that they're going to smoke weed. They're going to like they're going to get stoned, and this keeps coming up throughout the entire course of the movie that we keep having characters yeah. actively smoke weed. Um, do we have character names? Yeah, yeah, I've got uh, I've got all the character names uh, uh, pulled up in front of me. Awesome. There, yeah, we, we got. Um, um, is Michelle the counselor that goes with them? So we have. Uh, well, we know we have uh, self-proclaimed, I'm taking this from Wikipedia, self-proclaimed stud Mitch, his girlfriend yeah. Annie, overweight Henry, and nerd Danny. And, oh yes, and the hippie camp counselor Michelle, who yeah. ends up joining them. And so they all go <laughs> off and they go into a cave to smoke weed, and the fat character farts, which causes a landslide, trapping them <laughs> in the cave. But before that... Before that, he 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 picks up a random weed and tries to smoke it. <laughs> oh yeah, and then he also we we reveal that he has a stash of donuts that he's been keeping in this cave. Yeah, yeah. And that this is where he stashes away food while he's at camp. Yeah, and he has like, yeah, it's just like a banquet laid out in this cave, you know. <laughs> If, um, I recall, if I recall correctly, though, it mostly consists of varieties of donuts. Mostly, yeah, mostly donuts. So um, Michelle realizes that they've broken off from the group, so she goes to try to find them, and she's, like, <laughs> lured in by the smell of the marijuana. Um, like, she's like, oh, these kids get good shit. <laughs> and, and she falls in, and uh, my screen just went black for some reason. Um I can hear you just fine. Okay. All right. Cool. That was weird. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. So she falls in and then, then yeah, the overweight kid farts and it causes a landslide, which then traps them all in, in this cave system. 
and so then to pass the time, they decide that they're going to share, they're each going to share their stories of learn, losing their virginity, in which, in which the movie then, which is what turns into the framework of the movie, which I have to be honest, like, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Like, I've seen sex comedies before, but I've never seen an anthology sex comedy. And that's yeah. essentially what this movie is. It's an anthology of short little stories, um, comedic stories that revolve around sex. And mm-hmm. and then we have the wraparound story of the uh, kids in the cave. And we occasionally also flash back to the summer camp itself and yeah. people realizing that there's people missing and the various hijinks that are going on at the summer camp which i want to touch on that really briefly that the summer camp scenes very much felt like a trauma movie and oh yeah in fact it felt very much like of what we were talking about with terra firmer um in an earlier episode that there is constantly stuff going on in the background that there oh, yes. is like a gag a second of all these little things happening all over the place. And it's like, okay, like, so Lloyd Kaufman was doing this that early in his, was doing that this early in his career. Yeah. And even, you know, another thing that I would say is, is like a, uh, I don't know, a sign of things to come is the, uh, the, uh, the masturbation uh, ritual that we um, touched on a few minutes ago. Uh like how they have the way they set it up so this guy is is masturbating and um he they tell him everybody else is is it they tell him everybody else is going to do it but then they like kind of like turn on the lights and he's the only one jacking off specifically what it is is um they're it's kind of like initiation kind of thing yeah and at first i thought they were going to do like an like ookie cookie cookie type of thing which do you know what that is uh no <laughs> okay um i don't know if people ever actually did this in real life i've never heard of anyone doing this um it's what the band limp biscuit is named after um oh, and i'm not joking at all it's what the band limp biscuit is named after in which you have like a cookie or a cracker of some kind and you have a group of guys stand around it and the and they jerk off and the goal is to orgasm as quick as possible and to come on the food item in question and the last person who comes who quote unquote loses has to eat it and and i see that that game's always confused me because i'm like in the grand scheme of life that person that comes last is going to be the winner like yeah it's not (laughs) um so i thought they were going to do that they're not doing that but they are doing the thing of they're all going to jerk off in the dark and the one who comes first wins. And so the character uh, starts masturbating and he yells about like, you know, when he's about to orgasm and they turn on the lights and then there's been a whole group of people have come in to laugh at him. So, Um, which is really mean. Like there's a lot of things in this movie that have not aged very well. No, it's really mean, but it also reminds me of, uh, it reminds me of, um, Melvin the Mop Boy uh, making out with the sheep uh, in fr- in front of everybody in the outside the pool in a Toxic Avenger. Oh God, you're right. That is kind of like a little uh, similar thing. Yeah. I mean, like, like, and and the Toxic Avenger is part uh, 
sex comedy, especially the first one. The first oh, yeah. one, there's a oh, big yeah. element of like the sex comedy tropes and structure to it. Mm-hmm. And like, didn't Revenge of the Nerds also famously feature a scene where like a female character has sex with one of the nerds, thinking it's her uh, boyfriend? That, Probably. That, that whole idea of getting involved in a uh, sexual act only to be revealed that there's something humiliating or gross yeah. about what you're doing. It was definitely like a trope in those, in those types of movies. Yeah. I wonder if, um, I don't know. And I don't want to turn this into a conspiracy show at all, but like, you know how, like uh, we established that um, Lloyd Kaufman went to Yale with George Bush. And yes. there's that sort of uh, legend about, you know, the skull and bones would make you like kind of, Jack off in a casket and confess Oh your yeah, sins. there is that kind of stuff, isn't there? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, that is like a totally a thing. Yeah, so I'm wondering if like, you know, Lloyd was like kinda using that as inspiration here. I'm looking up uh, the skull and bones masturbation and yeah. I'm like I, I think that was like totally um Okay, so I'm, I don't know if it's just Google or if it's just my search history, but I'm going to have to do a much more focused search because my first page of Google, um, I do not have child protection turned on. So oh. I'm not getting – searching for skull and bones masturbation gets me a dramatically different <laughs> uh, set of results than I was hoping for. Yeah, yeah. Uh, especially, yeah, it must be your search history. They're like, oh, yeah, this is the guy who published all those skull-fucking books. Oh, yeah. this, is, this is definitely what he wants to look at. And I'm like, okay, I am intrigued, but not right now. Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's great. But I, I, do, uh, I do have a vague um, vague memory of that there's some, something like that that the Skull and Bone Society would, di- would yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. And they were no, they were like a known society in um, in Yale. Yeah. So yeah, it's not completely outside of the realm of possibility of. Yeah, I, and I'm not saying it happened to Lloyd, but I'm sure he heard the stories and. Oh, Lloyd Kaufman was never in Skull and Bones. Yeah, no. <laughs> he, it, 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 if he were, we would have had him as president instead, which would have been nice. We have that been a very different world. <laughs> um. So. So, so they're all stuck in this cave, and they're going to start telling yeah. stories. Let's get back to that. Yeah, so sorry. The first story is uh, Mitch, which um, I have to be honest, looking at this summary, this is a story that, like, stuck the least in my brain. Um, yeah. It's, so- he, he's hitchhiking, and um, um, he gets picked up by a prostitute and gets brought back to her hotel. Yeah, so I kind of remember this one a little more clearly, I guess. Like, so he it starts out, he's getting, like, a, he, like, kind of, he's with his girlfriend, and, like, he finally convinces her to give him a hand job, and then she, like, kicks him out of the car, and so he goes uh, walking, you know, and then, yeah, he gets picked up by this prostitute in this, like, hippie van, and um, they make a date, and because he doesn't really know what to do, he he, like, asks his friend to help him yeah uh, his 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 awful friend jeff which yeah. by the way jeffs are always portrayed terribly in media there's like one good jeff in all of media it's uh jeff lebowski in the big lebowski oh, his man. name is jeff yeah but like other jeffs like 
off the top of my head, we have like in um, Family Guy, Quagmire's brother who beats oh, his yeah. girlfriend is named Jesus. Jeff. Yeah. Comic book store guy in The Simpsons, his real name is Jeff. Um, uh, though I did recently rewatch Frankenhooker. Main character in that is named Jeff. Oh, nice. I love Frankenhooker so much. Um, I, I Yeah, that, I could go on a whole tangent about that. And maybe we should do an episode because, uh, you know, that's a movie that I could see getting confused for a trauma movie. Very much so, very much so. It's yeah. almost a surprise they didn't release it. Yeah, it's actually on trauma now. Like, it, oh, like... oh that rem- actually, that reminds me. Um, that's right, it's on trauma now, and I was Googling Frankenhooker recently. Actually, trauma has acquired the, not just on uh, trauma now, they've acquired the rights to Frankenhooker. Oh, so we can technically do Frankenhooker as a counts. future episode as an, as an official trauma movie. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Um, so I got off on my little Jeff tangent there. That's okay. Come we on, need me- better, we need better representation for Jeff's in movies. I think we, um, we seriously do. We seriously yeah. do. <laughs> um, all right. So yeah, so his story. Yeah. So you were going to say this, uh, Jeff character is kind of gross. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's actually, I wish we had the play-by-play. I should have written it down, but he has this whole list of stuff to do, like, if you're getting ready to... Uh... When in doubt, yeah. whip it out. When in doubt, whip it out, which is terrible advice. That is uh, bad advice. That is bad <laughs> advice. That is not good advice at all. Um, but I, I, I think there is, you know, uh, a large percentage of people who do believe that, Um <laughs> because I hear stories about that happening. Uh, you, we we hear stories, and um, there's also you know very frequently um, uh, lawsuits yeah. <laughs> over stories such things. Lawsuits. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is really that. I mean, that advice is kind of like I guess like uh, what ruined Louis C.K.'s career essentially. Sure, sure, yeah. Jeez, um, uh, <laughs> does this uh, show have a content warning to it? Because it should. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, maybe it should. Um, we might want to look I, into that. I do say explicit, but I guess maybe I could put in the uh, description. Like, I think yeah. I think that's good enough. Yeah. Um. So so this Jeff character has a terrible time with trying to uh, seduce the Lucy prostitute character, yeah. and it says on the summary that um, he almost injures her. I don't I don't recall that at all. He knocks her out, doesn't he? I don't recall. Like I said, this story stuck the least in my brain. Yeah, I, like I don't, I, I don't remember how he knocks ago. her out, but like, I think he does. I think he knocks her out, and then she comes to, and after the guy, you know, Jeff leaves. I, yeah, and then Mitch, Mitch finds her, and then they fuck. Yeah, yeah. And that's essentially the story. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. Not a great story. I found all the other stories in this movie much more memorable. So definitely. definitely. At least where we open up, we're opening up with the least interesting story. Yeah, uh, so I do have the order a little a little foggy. Does it say who goes next? Yes, it does. The next story is Henry with his ghost costume that looks identical oh, yes. to a clan robe. The ghost costume. 
my which, god. <laughs> this was when I was like, okay, this is feeling like a trauma movie, and I'm also not sure how to feel about this whole sequence because almost no part of this has aged well at all. No, it but, is dark, dude. Like it's, but it's still it, yeah. very entertaining. It is. It is. It's it's uh it actually felt it I mean not just like a trauma movie, it also felt like proto South Park to me in a lot of ways. I could see that because South Park has a does have like recurring jokes about like ghost costumes and them wearing clan outfits. Yeah. And, and yeah, black characters. Wears be, one. Yeah, and black characters being afraid because black people are afraid of ghosts, which is actually though, I'm um, honest to God, uh, with the clan, actual real life clan outfits, that was the original intention was to really? look like ghosts. Yes, that's where wow. the whole that white robe with the pointed white hood and that the original goal of it was to look like ghosts okay yeah that makes sense so um, little fun fact about a um hate group there you're welcome everybody i am filled yeah. with this type of trivia yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah last week you encouraged everybody to google smegma but i think you're gonna ruin their afternoon even more this time you know? <laughs> oh man the things that people are learning from episode to episode of this yeah show. that's great uh, um, i have to be able to keep this up so so he's he's on it this henry character tells a story that he's going to dress up as a ghost which looks identical to a clan outfit and um he's uh going to a halloween party but he's wearing the hood the whole way and he can't really see yeah. and i do enjoy like the reactions of people on the street seeing this guy essentially in a full clown clan outfit walking around uh -huh. like and he then stumbles upon a group of young black men attempting to assault a young white woman, which that gave me a little like, yeah, that scene really doesn't feel yeah. great. No. And it really felt like playing into like some like racial, like early eighties racial stereotypes and yeah. fear of black people, uh, stereotypes. At least right. that was, that was very strongly the feeling I got. Yeah. I wonder if, well, we'll get to the ending, but, um, uh, yeah, um, yeah, so he, his presence as a clan person, um, is what scares the, the, uh, black muggers away. Jesus no, Christ. no, they, no, they turn their attention to him thinking he is in the clan and then beat the fuck out of him. Oh, that's and, right. That's right. And then leave, and then they leave him. Um, they also leave him. Holding hands, skipping, and singing. Where it's yes. also the vague implication that this all-black gang is also an all-gay gang, um, <laughs> which also is like patent. We have just like in, in like five minutes. We have like like yeah, all our every sentence that we spoke was just like we just lost an audience member for each sentence. <laughs> I think. Um. Hey, but I'm saying it hasn't aged well. It's like 40 years later, look, watching it, it's like, that did not, that did not hold up. Like, no, no. Um, which, though, it's not the most uncomfortable, I don't, I feel this is not the most uncomfortable story in this, in this whole movie. We'll get, we're, we're going to get to that, uh, yeah. soon. Yeah, yeah. Um, so geez. then after the, I guess was supposed to infer all gay, all black gang leaves, what they believed is a beaten clan member for dead. Um, the 
girl goes to thank him, and she actually thinks she's he's seriously injured because when he gets this was actually I thought like the most clever filmmaking thing was that yeah. he was holding a slice of pizza when he gets beat up, and this pizza gets smeared on him in such a way that when he first stands up, it looks like he's bleeding and covered in gore. Yeah, which yeah. was actually like that was a really clever like filmmaking touch right there. Definitely, you're, definitely. You're, you can start kind of seeing how Troma would later, you know, use the <laughs> barest minimum possible to relay violence and, yeah. and graphic bloodshed. And, so she takes him back to her mansion because, oh, by the way, she's rich. And uh, this leads to one of the funnier things in the movie for me. Um, was, you know, they're like kind of making out on the couch or whatever, and the, the butler is... Uh, Making all these sexual gestures oh. with the champagne bottle. Oh my god, that was actually that was actually great. They're sitting there having this conversation, and he pops a bottle, I believe, of champagne for them. Yeah. And like he's mimicking like like fellatio, and like yep. he's sticking his finger in the top as like he's fingering, and he's making all these like bizarre facial expressions at them. That, yeah. That was very funny. That was that very was funny. Classic. And then they have sex, and that's their story, right? I mean, there was yes. really much beyond that. Um, and then they have sex. Yeah. That's, and then, there, there's a reoccurring theme here, folks. Yes. And then they have sex. End of story. Yeah. Uh, so which one's next? Is it the well, uh, the be, dude before or... That, before that, yeah. we actually have my personal favorite moment in the entire movie. Oh, yeah. We cut oh. back to the camp, and we have another... We have some scenes at the camp. For one, the camp is beginning to be aware that one of their counselors and a bunch of campers are now missing. And they're concerned not for their safety, but because they could get sued. And and then they also have a scene of they gather all the camp, they gather all the campers together to try to do like a head count. And when they do that, they play them a nature video sponsored by, I believe, an oil company. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. That video to me, and, and then we as the audience watch this two-minute-long video essentially about exploiting and destroying nature and how great it is. Yes. And that to me felt like the social satire on politics that Trauma would shift to for pretty much everything else after this movie. Yeah. Um, that to me felt like, oh, this is, this is a Lloyd Kaufman movie. This is a Trauma flick. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Um, and so and then, next, and yeah. then we get the next story, which I think is, is this the one? Um, I don't remember which one's next, but if okay, it's, the, so it's Annie's is next. Okay. This is, yeah. Okay. So Annie's, okay yeah. This, this is the one that, um, for mm-hmm. record, this was the role. This is a story that would have been Madonna. Um, oh, this is a that, character that Madonna auditioned for. And cool. Annie's was next, and it's this is also a really simple story. It's it's, a, it's back when she apparently comes from a farm, and yeah. an attractive drifter like broke into the house looking for food, and they go out to the barn and they have sex. That's yeah. the whole story. Um, but what makes this uh, story very very uncomfortable, and I kept wondering while watching it, is like where is this about to go? Where is this about to go? Is how, while they're having raunchy sex. It keeps cutting to scenes of all the farm animals watching them, and the farm animals are getting excited watching them. And the whole scene has this feeling that at any given moment, this is going to break out into full-on bestiality. Yeah, 
Yeah. At and least that's how it felt to me. Yeah. Now, yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, like, her story, she's, like, saying something that's kind that's kind of different than what's happening on the screen, but I kind of feel like that's in every story. Like they're like oh, kind of giving their own versions. Oh my god, I almost forgot about that. Yes, that in the entire her her telling the story, she's kind of implying that the sex was forced upon her. Yeah, and that what we are visually seeing is that she was the sexually forward person, and if. And she's throwing herself at this male character. Yeah. So there's this whole, once again, not as age, has not aged well, very much no. an outdated concept of, like, women cannot be sexual creatures, that they cannot, right. you know, like, have to keep their, you know, properness and ladiness and cannot yeah. be, cannot have such purient, purient thoughts. Right, right. But I mean... I mean, I would argue that that's, like, more of a commentary on that notion than, like, Lloyd Kaufman saying that that's what he believes. Oh, very much. I mean, the yeah. whole humor, the whole joke outside of all the farm animals apparently getting yeah. turned on. The whole joke is that uh, that she really wanted to fuck, and yeah. she's trying to hide that from people about how much she wanted to fuck and how much she wanted to lose her virginity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. I cannot – so you couldn't remember the first one. I cannot for the life of me remember uh, the other guy's story. Okay. This uh, – Danny goes next. Danny, And yeah. this is probably um, – this probably has some of the most attempts at actually doing a plot. And it's about um, – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, he's no, at I... the beach with his brother. Yes, he's at the – Beach with his brother, and I, it's it's some sort of spring break type of event because yeah. all these young people are all at the beach for all these parties and stuff like that. And oh, coming back to he's now. really into um, uh, the penthouse model pornography, which yeah, it's uh, man these days what we have on our hands. I have a hard time calling like penthouse pornography. I was like, oh, it's a girly mag. Like, it's a yeah. nude mag. Like, that's yeah. eh, not pornography. I can show you pornography. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but specifically, he's into a a penthouse pet by the name of Sheila Kennedy, who is a real-life model, and um, she plays herself in this yeah. movie. She was both uh, – she was 1981, penthouse pet of the month, and 1983, the year this movie came out, Penthouse Pet of the Year. Um, hey. So, some quick trivia there. Good job. And he he keeps, while they're on the beach, he keeps thinking he's seeing her around. Yeah. But when he tries to get his brother to see it, it, it's always this kind of dumpy, older, shirtless guy. Which, yeah. <laughs> I have to admit, it's actually a pretty decent gag. Especially the yeah. first time they do it, where the brother's like, I think you've been out in the sun too long. Yeah, and yeah. I, like, I I thought that was kind of a decent a decent gag, and so um, the brother is then going to set them up with a double date for yeah. the evening, and when uh, their date shows up to their hotel room, um, they have like all these things ready. They have marijuana that specifically said that they have marijuana. They've got. Um, alcohol, I forget what exactly, they have condoms, they got 
a bunch of other things, which I don't even remember what all was in the assortment of stuff. Yeah. Um, I was going to say they had poppers, but that can't be right. But, <laughs> but I think it's Wait, something like, like, ha- like jalapeno poppers or like, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, poppers as in like uh, whippets as oh, in like yeah, yeah, yeah. oxide. Okay. I want to, I want to I, say they had that, but I have to be wrong. I don't think that was a thing in the early eighties, or maybe I read it was. a book where they call, I read a book where they called that a uh, hippie crack. That I'm, I've heard people in real life refer to that as hippie okay. crack. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I myself have never done poppers. I've been at several parties where they have been done. Um, I knew they were. You know what? They actually may have been because I do know that um, in the uh, gay scene of like the nineties poppers were a real big thing and this is okay. the 80s it's only 10 years off maybe yeah maybe. they did have them i don't know but um uh so when the date shows up there's no date for danny and all that was was the girl just literally forgot to invite her friend so danny's and brother kicks him out of the room but specifically he gives him all the sex related stuff to take with him yeah. i want to know that the brother kicks his the, the brother kicks Danny out and gives him the condoms and tells him, go get lost. And it's yeah. like, you really might want to, like, keep some of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. At least and so, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. And then so Danny, um, he goes back to his room where he finds the penthouse pet waiting for him. Right. Um, and she seduces him. And meanwhile, while this is going on, we get uh, cuts to his brother, who is pseudo attempting to rape the woman. Yeah, the yeah, because she's yeah, she's like giving him some resistance, and he is not taking he's, no for an answer. He is not taking it well. He is not yeah. taking it well. Um, and she manages to get away. I believe she knocks him unconscious. Uh, yes. Yeah. So. So I do believe we're officially not at the, not the range of rape, but I do believe this falls into full-on sexual assault. I would and say so. What happened? That she had to use physical violence in order to get away from her attacker. Yeah. Um, attempted rape. At the, like. Um, I would say so. Yeah. And so then Jesus. she shows up to Danny's room, who Danny and the penthouse pet are already engaged in like sex or sexual foreplay or that, and then she joins them, and they have a threesome. And that ends the story. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> say these movies out loud. It's just like. But you know what though? Like, I, uh, you know, I'd say that this particular story was when I when I thought was when I started to see the ending coming. Oh. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah I was like, because this is getting the pure fantasy thing. Because yeah, he just his his the. The model that he is obsessed with just so happens to be waiting in his room for him. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, unfortunately, I guess unfortunately is the right word, I already knew the ending because before I had watched it, I had looked up uh, just some brief writings about it, and one of which uh, gave away the twist ending, and so I was like, oh, no. I think I probably would have started to pick up on it as well with this story of being like, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. Um, so then uh, Danny's mom shows up at camp, right? Like, she's she shows yes. up. She's, yes, so we're back at the camp now. Yeah, so she wants to know where Danny is, and the, 
the head counselor or the owner or whatever is just feeding her lie after lie and like using all sorts of like misdirection because he doesn't want to give away the fact that her Danny is trapped in a cave with uh or missing well, I guess because they, they don't, don't know. know they they yeah. don't know we later find out that they think he, all the campers are dead that they we later find out that they've yeah. been dragging the lake looking for their bodies that's like, right that's right yeah yeah so they don't know where they are but he doesn't want to give that factoid away so he's like you know distracting her with all sorts of camp activities as well and um, that's also where we get like a whole bunch of background gags going on with the campers yeah. just doing ridiculous stupid things all around in the background oh yeah oh yeah it's um and yeah. then, like this this in terror firmer like you know gives a good lesson to like aspiring low to zero budget filmmakers of like the worst thing you can do in the movie is be boring and yeah. and honestly in a lesser director's hands this would have been just kind of like straightforward dialogue scenes yeah and Our, instead um... Instead, we just have people just acting like absolute maniacs constantly in the background, and it just makes the scenes at the very least visually interesting. Is it our that, uh, our buddy uh, our buddy Carlton Mellick who says, uh, "Don't try to be good; try to be entertaining." Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> which is great advice. It is, is great advice. incredible advice. Like that is some of the best out there, I think, um, as far as you know, advice so, for creative I, stuff. Before we go on, one thing that did though pop in my head that this is very different from other Choma movies, how much money did they fucking spend on extras? Because yeah. when we say it's the full camp, we're not just getting glimpses of like ten people running around. There were scenes with literally like three hundred people yeah, on there's screen like at two once. Two or three scenes in the cafeteria where there's gotta yeah. be like like two hundred children or oh, at something. Least. And, and children are expensive. You know, from what I understand, as far as like the okay, Hollywood. that's that's a I that's realized a after quote, I said clip that. Out. <laughs> okay, so I meant child actors tend to cost more. I'm basing this on just like hearsay, by the way. Like I don't know if that's no, true. No, but, but, but it is. But it's true yeah. because um, um, you need to have hand um, handlers on set, which are normally their parents and handlers, which is an even more triggering word. <laughs> Jesus but Christ. but it, but it is true. And um, is this after, um, I believe is either bef is this before or after the Twilight Zone movie would have come out? Actually, the Twilight Zone movie would have came out the same year, and so. that movie led uh, to a whole bunch of reworkings of child safety and child welfare laws because that oh. movie famously um, uh, an actor and two child actors were famously killed on screen in that movie. Are you aware of this? I, I knew it was a cursed movie. I did not know why, and I guess now I know. <laughs> There's a helicopter crash sequence in which beheaded two kids and um, Holy shit. and Vic Morrow. I believe it was Vic Morrow the actor who died in like and oh. they actually use in the legit movie they used, they used the, footage. the take that which the three people got killed during. This is Holy why John Landis God. has not made a Hollywood movie since Twilight Zone, the movie. He's essentially been blackballed from Hollywood. But he, he uh, made Innocent Blood in the uh, in the early nineties. Yeah. yeah, Vic Morrow. He uh, he got killed on that. Um, did he make yeah. a nineties movie? Yeah, Innocent Blood. It was his uh, vampire uh, riff on the whole um, America Werewolf formula. 
Um, you know what? Actually, he did. That's bad information for me. See, we're fact-checking here live. He actually directed a ton of movies after Okay. After yeah. this. So I'm not sure where I was getting that bad information from. But um, he did directly, though, lead to... Um, uh, I'm sure there was some blowback, for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, he he uh, it directly led to re- revamping film safety uh, on it because the accident specifically... Uh, could have very easily been avoided. He was him and several other. I have a Wikipedia pulled up right now. Uh, Landis and and four of the crew members were charged with involuntary manslaughter, Holy and they shit. ended up um, and they ended up uh having like to pay the families lots of money, and it's just a whole ugly thing. I Damn. do recommend anyone that's interested to look into it. It will for though ever shadow your opinion of. John Landis, because it is quite frankly an example of a rich man who killed people and essentially got away with it. Yeah, my God. He he honestly, when you find out the full story about like how many safety precautions were ignored, he should have served jail time for for what he did. And then, and of course, later we had uh, the incident with. I can't remember that pedophile's name, but the guy who did the Jeepers Creepers movies. Yeah. And um, why the fuck am I blanking on his name too? Uh, Victor Salvo. Victor Salvo, thank you. Yeah. Victor Salvo, who uh, raped the uh, children in what movie was it? We, we were talking Clown about House. Clown House. Clown thank House. Thank you. And that also that fault the blowback from that. Uh, once again, rich person who essentially got off on a very light slap on the wrist for raping a child star and producing child producing and distributing child pornography. Yeah, and yeah. that also led to a revamp of child safety standards. Now, the reason why I'm bringing up all this stuff is those were the two major cases that led to our current day. Uh, child safety standards, and when this first turn-on was made, the filming would have predated those. So kids are still expensive, but there's, they would have become, what we're thinking of right now, way more expensive. Yeah, Uh, gotcha. But still, though, where the fuck was Choma getting the budget to pay all those... All those children. Yeah, all those children. Yeah. Man. Um, Yeah, for real. Uh, So... Jesus Christ! Anytime we talk about Victor Salva, I'm just like angry. Um, yeah, I know. I, I'm just like, man, we can't talk about a single movie without me going down this dark. T- Let me tell you about real life violence and sex, sexual yeah. assault, and rape. And Jesus like, Christ! Child pornography. I I can tell you pretty much anything in Hollywood to it. So told yeah. you a little bit about Hollywood. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you hate to say that the, uh, you know, the crazy people are right about anything, but uh, <laughs> they were right like, about that. <laughs> we've talked about it, like, um, off mic, um, like, off recording, about how frustrating it is that all those fucking Christian moms in the 90s ended up being completely right about Marilyn Manson. And <laughs> it's like, God damn it. I know, right? All right, uh, so let's go back to the um, next story. Let's reel story. it in. Yeah. Yes, let's reel um, it in here. And okay. which is essentially the last story of the anthology before we get the conclusion of the wraparound narrative. And this next story is definitely the most interesting to trauma fans. Now you had sent me a text. I forget yeah. what you said. What, what did you send? Cause you watched this before I did and I you did. didn't give away what it was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, okay. Um, so you're talking about the initial text I sent you. Um, 
Okay, let's see. Uh... Yeah, you, you, you texted me. I genuinely liked the first turn on. You can definitely see the seeds for what Troma will become. There. Oh, never mind. Um, yeah. I, I and there's also a scene that I know I've seen now. in other movies, but can't remember where. Okay. Well, regardless, so we have the um, the hippie counselor's story, and it's about how she had the best uh, boyfriend ever when she was in high school and you know this is once again doing that thing of the narration does not match what we are seeing on screen yeah and oh it's it's yes melvin yeah that's right it's <laughs> melvin from the toxic avenger her yeah. best boyfriend ever in um in high school is played by the same actor who plays M- melvin who becomes the toxic avenger and, one and, year later and if and, you thought he was gross as melvin Oh, have I oh, got news for you? <laughs> there is a scene where uh, like she, <laughs> oh, she invites him to have dinner with her family, and her family's fawning all over him, if I recall correctly. Yeah, yeah. Wow, he is just shoveling food in. Like it is, it is one. It is a gross, gross dinner scene, and it's not that they're eating anything specifically gross, but it's how. Um, We'll, we'll just call him Melvin. I'm not sure what the name of the actor actually is. Uh, Mark Corkle, uh, I believe. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that how he's eating. Um, like he simulates a uh, uh, he simulates fellatio with corn on with the cob corn. while he yeah. has gravy all over his face, and it's it's just really visually gross. <laughs> it is. And, and I know like some people have like issues with like mouth sounds and the way people eating and chewing gross amount. This is definitely a scene that if you're remotely yeah. susceptible to it, this will like cause gag reflexes. Not your, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. Yeah, this is not a scene. You'll you'll wanna skip this scene if you can. <laughs> and so I was just like, hey, it's him. And yeah. um so she wants to have sex with him, and they're, like, at a club or something, if I recall correctly, and uh-huh. he ends up rejecting her and hooking up with a different chick. Yeah. And that's when she sees uh, this really handsome, attractive man who woos her, and then it turns out he has a twin brother. Yeah. And, and then the, two of, the three of them hook up, and it concludes – with them having a uh, threesome and her being double penetrated on a bowling alley lane while people yep. were bowling around them, which you kept texting me about this image. It was driving me nuts because I'd seen it before. And even after you told me what you told me, I'm still like, dude, I think a mainstream movie like used this stock footage somewhere like I, but I couldn't find any information on it. So like that might be some weird Mandela thing, but like, yeah, that's it was driving me nuts because I'd seen that a lot, and you I'm, said it's from a compilation. Uh, all, the, all the old trauma DVDs used to have a feature called Aroma de Trauma, and it was a music video. I want to say it was set to um, Motorhead, and yeah, it was Motorhead definitely, and it was kind of a compilation of all of these clips of sex and violence from all these different trauma movies. Yes. And they include in that compilation, because I actually remember watching that and wondering, like, what movies are those scenes from? Because I never yeah. recognized them until now. One with, um, I'm just calling them Melvin. Melvin um, d- essentially deep-throating uh, Corn on the Cob, and <laughs> then this double penetration happening on 
a bowling alley. And I was always like, where are those two movies? Where are those scenes from? They're from the first turn-on. Now, like, yeah. 20 years later, the mystery has been solved for me. Now, I, I, you know, I, I, I'm almost tempted to say that, like, someone used that as a GIF recently. Or is it I, GIF or GIF? How, I was how do you going with that? GIF. Yeah, I think it's GIF, too. But, yeah, I think I saw it as a GIF and didn't know what it was. Like, I don't know, because I feel like it was recent. But, I, again, I could be just, like, losing my mind. Well, it'll be interesting, though, as we watch some of the other Lloyd Kaufman movies, because Lloyd Kaufman does like to have, like, his characters in a trauma movie be watching the trauma movie. So oh. it, might, it might be something, like, when we watch a Toxic Avenger, they might be watching a porno in, because... That also might be it. I think there is like a scene in the Toxic Avenger when they're watching the porno. It might even be uh it might one be of the, it might even on. be one of the films that uh Silk Films produced in um uh Tromeo and Juliet. In Tromeo and Juliet they because we actually went through this, they specifically only showed shots from Squeeze Play. Oh that's right, that's right. Okay. So right. they did not use any footage of the first turn on in Tromeo and Juliet, but I also wouldn't be surprised if we end up watching, you know, revisiting Toxic Avenger or Class in Newcomb High, right, or, or something like that, and then it's like, oh, they are. It's just yeah, it's just one of those images movie. that is just yeah, it's just I, I I knew it from something else, you know, and and it's just stuck in my mind. But yeah, it's just uh, I don't know. And it's it's also one of those things of like you have to keep in mind like. When Lucas and I grew up and were young teenagers, like the like, I did not have any access to the internet until I went to college. Like, wow. they straight up did not run the internet to out where I lived. I'm not sure what your uh, your experience with the internet was, but like, it's very different different getting access to like pornographic images now sure. than it was when we were young teenagers. And I remember in the Aroma de Trauma seeing that scene of you know a guy on top girl in the middle and the guy on bottom facing and being like how does yeah. that work and slowly piecing it together in my yeah. still vaguely innocent head and being like oh right because like it's not i mean even though this movie has a lot of explicit stuff like i mean it's not they're they're it's closed are they not like yeah, yeah they're actually um they're actually closed she's she's still wearing her dress you can tell that the dress is hiked up and it's just the guys that are naked but we don't see anything now yeah which also stood out to me about this movie, the the later trauma movies would deviate from. Lots of tits, no dicks. Yeah, yeah. But uh yeah, we start getting our uh, share of dicks in uh Terra Firmer. Yeah, yeah, that, that later <laughs> that later gets corrected. Yeah, yeah. Um So that was the final story for the like anthology short story segments. Yeah. And then um we get the we're back in the cave, and the oxygen is starting to run low. And yeah. they're all afraid they're going to uh, suffocate. And one of the characters essentially starts having the breakdown of, like, I don't want to die. Essentially, I'm too young to die. I don't want to die a virgin. Yeah. And then one of the other characters is like, wait, but I thought you told us the story of you losing your virginity. And he reveals, oh, I lied. And then all the other characters start admitting that they all lied too. And then the big twist of the movie, they're actually all still virgins. Yeah. So. Which, so, you know, I, I liked, and I also, <laughs> maybe this is just me, like, but like, it made some of the offensive elements in some of their uh, 
stories less offensive, you know, knowing that it was these just dumb characters making up stupid stories. It's all it's all dumb kids trying to make up shit to impress yeah. other dumb kids, and everyone is too um, sexually um, uh, sexually sexually ignorant to be able to call out each other on being like. You didn't yeah. do that. You didn't lose yeah. your virginity to two, two chicks and clean the penthouse model. Like, that did but, not happen. Yeah, and so it leads to this almost, like, Kenneth Anger-type orgy sequence between them. Yes, so they're all determined not to die as virgins, so they're going to have an orgy. So if they're going to die, at least they're going to go out fucking and not as virgins. Which, you know, in all honesty, I respect that logic. I absolutely do. I absolutely yeah. do. And, um, yeah, and so, yeah, you get this, like, crazy orgy scene, which, like... It's really artfully done. That's what Very... I mean, like, Kenneth Anger, like, kind of, it, it kind of felt like something like that, you know, like... You see a little bit of Lloyd Kaufman's, like, influences that we've talked about before. He is a lover of really highbrow artistic film. And oh, yeah. you see oh, yeah. a little bit of that come through in this orgy, uh, orgy scene and how it is filmed, and there's definitely a lot of, like, artistic thought put yeah. into it. Yeah, and then the, um... But then their collective orgasm, uh, breaks them out of the cave. That is, yes, that is literally what happens. <laughs> Which I'm like, all right. Yeah. No, well, because, you know, they said it was the sound of the fart that made the cave in, so I don't know. All uh, that I, screaming. I'll I, buy, I, it. I buy it. I well, buy it. You're either on board with movies like this or you're not. Like, I, you know, like, I, I can't imagine going into this to a movie like this and then halfway through wanting to call bullshit because it's all <laughs> ridiculous, you know? Like, this isn't believable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and I guess so. Then they they walk they walk back to camp, which is where we get the great joke of the mother is still yelling at uh, the camp the the head counselor whatever about like where is my kid at and that and the one kid pops um not one of the characters but a different camper pops oh, up yeah. out of the lake and be like I couldn't find their bodies they're not down there yeah. <laughs> So at this point, they've written off the characters as dead, and they're yeah. just trying to—they're just trying to find the bodies. Which, right. Which, which I guess really we're led to believe to, to reach that conclusion in a—you know—in less than a day. But hey. Yes, they've only been gone for a few hours. <laughs> yeah, which is great. Which actually, it almost makes me wonder if this movie is like this—is almost like an unsung predecessor to uh, Wet Hot American Summer. Which I've okay. Confession time, I've never seen Wet Hot American Summer. Okay, so there's this really uh, surreal scene where they drive into town, and it starts out with them, like, smoking a little weed, but then they're, like, buying coke in a back alley, and then, like, dying of heroin overdoses in, in an apartment building, and then they all come back to camp laughing, and then they're just like, it's great to get into town, even for just a couple hours, like... I don't know, I do, I do know a big piece of horror trivia when it comes to Wet Hot American Summer. Oh? All the outfits in Wet Hot American Summer are based on all the outfits from Sleepaway Camp. Oh, and that's that is on, awesome. that's 100% on purpose. All the outfits that um, are identical in Wet Hot American Summer I believe to that. Sleepaway uh, Camp. You know, because I – and that, that actually makes me really happy. And the reason why is because, like, it's like the perfect summer camp parody, except that I kept hoping a slasher would show up at some point. Um <laughs> It turns but, out it was influenced by, like, one of the most notorious summer camp slashers ever made. Wow. Which, Unreal. Also, I actually just watched um, uh, Sleepaway Camp for the first time. 
<laughs> um, yeah, a couple years, uh, I'd say like two, two, three years ago, I watched it for the first time. Did not like it. I do not yeah. get what the fuss is about that movie. Well, you're also not really a slasher fan. I am not. And that movie, like, epitomizes what I don't like about slashers. That it's like, for it's slashers as a whole are supposed to be based around death scenes. But the death scenes, are, for the most part, in most slashers are always so fucking lame. So I think, you know, not to get on too much of a tangent, I think you would like uh, Lake Nowhere. It's a, um, it's like an 80s slasher movie, but it's like on an old VHS tape. So it's like, uh, it's basically a slasher movie without all the boring parts. Like, it's like, it's literally like death, death, sex, death, death, sex. Like, that sounds all right. Like, I, um, you know, this is still say on topic of summer camp stuff and that I, uh, did I always have to recommend to people? It's on Shutter. There's a great meta deconstruction of slasher tropes called "You Might Be the Killer," which oh, have yeah. you seen that yet? Uh, I haven't, but I've seen oh. I've seen the the. Is it a movie or is it like a documentary? It's a movie. It's a movie. Oh, okay. Okay. So, cool. um, what what the premise of the movie is is um, it's about this uh this chick that works in a uh, a video store. And she gets a phone call from one of her close friends who is at a, a summer camp for the summer, and he has just woken up from a blackout, and there's bodies everywhere and blood everywhere, and he oh, doesn't cool. know what happened. And as she talks with him, it quickly becomes apparent that he might be the slasher, and he's blacking out and killing people. And so she's a horror movie fanatic, so she's essentially going through the tropes associated with summer That's camp fun. slasher movies, trying fun. to help talk this guy through coming to terms of is he or is he not the actual summer camp slasher really super fun movie really if you're really into like genre deconstruction you like highly highly recommend it that sounds a lot of fun um so then the character we're back to the our movie yeah and the characters get reunited with their family all is well and then the narrator uh says what happened to be uh, to happen to all the main characters which that's right I, I can go through them all here the wikipedia actually has almost verbatim what is said oh cool cool so danny becomes a pornographic actor under the name dickie long mitch becomes a preach and a staunch advocate for gay rights henry now works for the national cheese commission's board and after eight marriages annie has a nervous breakdown and becomes a vegetable um, and they, they really, they doesn't, see, this isn't verbatim, because I remember they stretch out that vegetable joke. Of, oh, okay. Yeah, of something of like, right. like, oh yeah, she's like a real turnip now, nothing going on. Oh, something, yeah, 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 yep. Something like that. And Miss Farmer, the hippie uh, counselor, uh, one's, ends up running the government program for wildlife preservation, which, which then the movie ends on the note of, we see her freeing a large trout and encouraging it to fly away and she tosses a fish in the air freeze frame end of movie yeah yeah which that ending also felt very lloyd kaufman-esque of like really non-sequitur out of nowhere uh -huh. jokes yeah he's uh he's definitely good for that i mean it's it's uh i i'm now interested to see all the other sex comedies because like this did really feel like a trauma movie. Like, it had Lloyd all over it. 
I don't know what I was expecting, but I wasn't expecting it to feel as trauma as it did. Like I was for some reason I was thinking like I think most people do that the trauma we know and love starts with the Toxic Avenger. Same. And now I do not consider this as good as a Toxic Avenger, no. but it it's trauma. It's Lloyd Kaufman. It is. It's, it's yeah, unmistakably I, Lloyd Kaufman. I was expecting meatballs or something like that, you know, and and yeah, I got I got a trauma movie. Uh, I was not expecting that. It was a nice a nice surprise. Um, there, there are definitely scenes where I was like, oh, wow. Like, imagine trying to do that one, you know? <laughs> and I'm not saying that in, like, a wistful way. Like, you know, I'm saying, like, oof, that didn't age well. <laughs> you, you, can, you can also definitely see, like, Lloyd Kaufman trying to find his footing on incorporating really offensive elements into his work and it's it's i I think it's very safe to say it's not as successful here as it ends up being in his later movies right right you can definitely see him experimenting with trying to use taboo subject matter for comedy well yeah no i i read a really good essay um by um Autumn Christian, who's a friend of ours, uh, and she was she was talking about how like the Edge Lord is actually necessary because you need to find out where the edge is, and it's not always clear. And sometimes you are gonna go over that edge, and it's gonna and it might be you know and it might be something you can maybe apologize for later or whatever like or maybe you don't have to. But um, I don't know. It's important to explore the edge, and I think you can you know. I don't know. I mean, at this point, though, like, now if anyone were to, like, rediscover the movie and, you know, be offended or felt it went too far in some scenes, it's... Lloyd Kaufman has enough of a career built for himself that you can just say, it's like, it's Lloyd Kaufman. It's trauma. Like, you should know what you're getting yourself in for. Like... Yeah. It's... uh, Especially if you're like, this is primordial (laughs) Lloyd Kaufman, you know? This is early Lloyd Kaufman, you know? And, um... So I'm curious here. I I, I want to look up here. How old was Lloyd Kaufman when he made this movie? Uh, no. So he was born in 1945, and this was made in. Um, it was released on January 1st, 1983, which meant, meant it would have been made in 82. So mm-hmm. 45 to 82. Um, he would have been 37. He's about our age. Yeah. He was our age. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Unreal. Unreal. Well, that's that's actually kind of comforting in a way, right? Like I'm like, wow. So he was our age, and he hadn't even done his best work yet. Oh, I, I mean, not we're we're still decades off, in my opinion, from his best work. He didn't even begin start doing the work that his entire career would be defined for for another year, and even yeah. that took several movies in a row before you know it became Lloyd Kaufman before it right. came trauma. Yeah. So that is reassuring. It is. It there's is. There's still time for us, Lucas. There's still time there's for still us. There's still time. Yeah, because Terror Firmer, he would have been, God, in he, his fifties. Yeah, yeah. Just w- without doing the exact math, yeah, he would have been in. Oh, he definitely would have been in his fifties. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. There's still time. Yeah. And he's still <laughs> and he's still making that crazy shit. Yeah, it's amazing. Um. So yeah, and it's like I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I always find it a little bit bizarre how little I can find about this movie. Like Troma definitely doesn't like hide that they made it. It's just like never talked about. And yeah. if you look at like interviews with Lloyd Kaufman, he will drop just references of like, Oh yes, I made the first turn on 
and that's kind of the extent of everything. Like, yeah, this movie is just not really gone in detail about. Now, I don't have the DVD for it. I do know that Lloyd Kaufman um, has a audio commentary, which you would immediately think would be like, oh, that's where he talks all about this movie. But from reviews, I was looking up, seeing if it would be worthwhile to order the DVD for this. Um, the reviews that directly talk about the commentary all mention that he doesn't really talk that much about the movie itself. Instead, he tells a lot of behind-the-scenes stories from early trauma years before Toxic Avenger. So it's more of like a retrospective on... I wonder if it's trauma. like a boilerplate commentary for all the sex comedies or something. Apparently, all the sex comedies feature a lot of repeated stories and a lot uh. of repeated things. So... I, he did technically record separate comedies, uh, sorry, commentaries for all of them, but they have a lot of cr crossover to such a degree that one of the reviews I found for um, the Sexy Box, which is the box set, DVD box mm -hmm. set that had all of the Lloyd Kaufman sex comedies on it, essentially said of, it's only worthwhile listening to one of the commentaries and you can skip the rest because you've essentially heard all the stories. Gotcha. Well, hey, Lloyd, if you're listening, uh, we want to we wanna know more about the first turn-on. <laughs> yeah, I would be so curious. I would legitimately be curious to know, like, some of the logistics in filming this movie, especially, like, I, I've already brought up, like, the camp scenes uh, feature, I think, more actors on screen than any other Lloyd Coffin movie I have seen. Like, yeah, for sure. And and Terra Firmer and Troma's War both had huge casts. Oh, and this, like, but just in terms of sheer number of people you see on screen, this blows them away. Like, there Absolutely. were days that they had to wrangle several hundred extras. Yeah. It's wild. Um, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> and so, I, though, in my research, I did find um, a original from 1983. Um, actually, it was published October 12th, 1984. New York Times review of the first turn. Oh, yeah, let's hear it. Yeah, it's not super long, so I'll just read the whole thing. It's pretty brief. Okay. Um, this was written by Stephen Holden. I have no idea who that is, but give credit to Stephen Holden, who had the earliest review of, of the first turn on that I was able to find online. Shout so, out Stephen Holden. He says, the first turn-on is the kind of movie that looks so cheap even the rocks seem to be made of cardboard. And rocks have a role to play, since the story begins when Michelle, played by Georgia Harrell, a nature counselor from Camp Big TP, finds herself sealed in a cave with four of her teenage charges. To while away the hours before they're rescued, they regale one another with tall tales of losing their virginity. This teen sex farce, which opens today at the Criterium and other theaters, looks at virginity from roughly the point of an 11-year-old boy. If being a virgin is synonymous with being a creep, losing that status is a gross and embarrassing experience, like going through a food fight. With the exception of the prettiest Michelle, the women in the first turn-on are evil, leering seductresses, while beneath their path path pathetic braggadocio, the boys are frightened, quivering slobs. Quote, if I ever get out of here, I'll change my subscription from Penthouse to National Geographic, end quote. One of them vows, fearing suffocation under those odd-looking rocks. Viewers of the film may want to do the same. That's my the whole God. review. 
Well, Stephen, I respectfully disagree, but uh, yeah, I, I think that's that's a, fair. That's a harsh review. Like, that was yeah, yeah. He did not like that movie at all. No, I mean, and was, like I did was, not. Fu- that was like Ebert Mother's Day level, almost. No, it's interesting because this review was written in 1984, so I guess it probably like we talked on before about with trauma movies that some of them have had a uh, release process that sometimes took years. For yeah. the movie to get fully released in theaters nationwide, so obviously it took until October of 1984 for um, first turn on to start having screenings in New York City. I'm so, willing to bet the. Po- oh wait, no. Yeah, I guess. Uh, so, Porky's Two came out in '83, and I'm wondering if like the uh, popularity of those movies led to a demand of more sex comedies. Oh, we we said before. When was the first Porky's? Eighty one. I and I, I just realized I, I said that, that this predates this movie. And that, yeah, that Trump, predates our movie or uh, our first turn on, which I didn't well, think remember so. Remember the description I read on Trema's website, and they claim that it's before Porky's. Before like, Porky's. That's a, not true. A, a factoid that I repeated. Oh man. That's not true. Not like, true. Like you've got to you've got to fact check Trauma and what they claim because so. they 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 like to. Uh, sometimes bend the truth to just ship outright lying to sell their it's, movies. Yeah, it's uh, I, you know, tall tales just like uh, in this movie there are tall tales. They're um, they're hucksters to their core, and I respect them for it. I appreciate a good <laughs> huckster. Like you know, it's in the same it's in the same tradition as like you know w- William Castle. Like yeah, yeah, I William Castle or wrestlers back in the day. I mean, Jesus Christ. <laughs> But I find most interesting the comment about women being evil, leering seductresses. I didn't which get that I, impression. I, I did not remotely come away from that at all. And I'm thinking that has to show a little bit of like the societal view of sexuality in women in the nineteen eighties. Right. And because I would say like that the women in this movie are portrayed as being sexually strong. And, like, they know what they want, and they're not afraid of being sexual and not afraid of pursuing their desires. That's something now presented in movies and art and entertainment as, like, a positive trait. And, like, like, to be honest, I find that a positive trait in the real-life women I know. Um, And here, this review in the, literally the year I was born, is portraying this as a negative. Yeah, it's interesting. Though... It's funny though that calling pathetic braggadocio, the boys are actually like frightened and quivering slobs, and it's like teen boys have like not changed at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Um, so uh, unlike Stephen, uh, or or maybe like Stephen, do you do you recommend this movie? Okay, I was thinking about that in advance. I have a, like very specific recommendation. I've I've been doing specific recommendations for every one of these. Uh, everyone it's a specific crowd, man. I mean, it's trauma, you know? <laughs> I would not recommend this movie to people generally. However, if you're like a trauma Lloyd Kaufman super fan, and you most likely just never got around to watching the first turn on, I totally recommend it. It's a really interesting um, historical curiosity. That it's really, it was really fascinating to me how much of what we think of as trauma and what defines trauma was present here. And like I said, I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting to be such an 
unapologetic Lloyd Kaufman movie. Yeah, I for some reason thought it was just going to be a uh, a clear break. Like, you know, there was a clear yeah. break between uh, the sex comedies and Toxic Avenger, and that's not that's not true. Um, I feel like that's how Troma even like talks about itself a lot. Is it that, does. Like, yeah. That they were doing things before, and then they figured out what they wanted to do and went in a different direction. And it's not really like that we see like everything about Lloyd Kaufman's filmmaking style and really the big difference between this and the Toxic Avenger and the stuff later is they started to pull in other genres this is very firmly a comedy and it very firmly falls under the sex comedy subgenre um and it was like with the next movie they do still keep a lot of the elements of the sex comedy but then they also pull in superhero tropes and this is long mm-hmm. before superheroes like really dominated pop culture and it pulls in horror tropes and gore tropes and yeah they seem to have like really found their footing and their what defines them as unique filmmakers when they started doing genre mashups literally decades before genre mashups became the standard way to go the only other thing i can think of were like you know i mean i guess Anime was doing genre mashups, you know, around the same time. Like, I like I feel like a lot of anime, and I'm not even a huge anime fan, but I do feel like what's interesting about that is is they do tend to be um, almost genreless. Like, there's, like, you know, you see something like Demon City, Shinjuku, or whatever, and it's, like, it's horror, but it's also sci-fi, but it's also martial arts, but it's also, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, I, I can't really speak much on anime, even though it's really funny because I'm actually right now wearing a Toonami t-shirt. Oh, um, nice. I, I'm actually not a big. I'm actually not a big fan of anime. I'm sorry to everyone that loves it that's listening, which seems to be most people these days. <laughs> Adult Swim's just Adult Swim. It's a whole another story, but Adult Swim once sent me a a whole big box full of free shit, and included in it was a Toonami shirt, and I wear it because I like the design, it's actually a super soft, really nice shirt, so I really cool. like the shirt, even though I'm not a fan of Toonami. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, no, I, I found this, um, from like a like intellectual perspective, and someone that's a big fan of Trauma, big fan of Lake Kaufman, it was really interesting to visit this movie and see all these all these aspects of his filmmaking on display there. It's yeah. It's it's not that dissimilar. And I'll be curious about as we go further back in his filmography how much the older movies are like yeah, that. Because now I don't know. Yeah. Now I'm like, oh, are we gonna get like, you know, little hints of Toxie, you know? <laughs> we <laughs> might firmer. Yeah. Yeah. We, we talked about like in uh uh, Campbell the musical that how pretty much everything from Trey Parker and Matt Stone's career was on the screen right there yep. in the beginning. Now yep. I know that's not the case with Lake Kaufman because we do have um, what's it uh, the Battle of Love's Return and Big Gus What's the Fuss, which oh, yeah. which we do know that those like um, Battle of Love's Return was Lake Kaufman's attempt at doing a highbrow art film and and. Big Gus, What's the Fuss wasn't written by Kaufman, I believe. I could be wrong on that, but I believe he didn't write it. And I believe that that's um, going also in a very different direction. Okay, interesting. So I'll be curious to see where these, like, sex comedies, are all the sex comedies like this? Like, did he, because I would consider them really the beginning of his 
filmmaking? Are they yeah. all like this? Because that could be really interesting. Oh, for sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I have to echo you on the recommendation thing. I'm not, you know, I know, like, you can't recommend a movie like this or any trauma movie, um, for that matter, to just anybody. Um, but I would say if you're a fan of trauma and you're just like us, for whatever reason, just haven't seen any of the early films, um, definitely check this one out. Yeah, like, if I'd recommend Toxic Avenger before this, I'd recommend Troma's War, I'd recommend Class of Newcomb High, I'd recommend Terraform, yeah. but if you've already seen all the big ones, and if you've seen all the big ones, you're enough of a dedicated, you're a dedicated Lloyd Kaufman fan, I recommend checking this out. Cool, cool. And all right. We do, though, have the write-up of the first turn-on we still need to get to, and all I need oh, to know about see, filmmaking. I thought I thought there was, like, nothing in there about nope, it. Nope, they still have it. They, they still they have still the thing have in the, the back. Paragraph. Okay, cool, cool. They still have the thing in the back, so let's see what the write-up is. A sexy romp through summer camp and sexual fantasies is a group of campers and their counselor trapped in a cave together with nothing but each other to pass the time. Quote, this film was a driving force behind Madonna's popularity, says Michael Hertz. Hertz. Continuing quote, because she auditioned for a role and we turned her down, she went on to musical success. End quote. At least they got Academy Award nominee Vincent D'Ofrio and Penthouse Pet of the Year Sheila Kennedy, James Gunn, Tro- and then next sentence, James Gunn, Tromite, and co-screenwriter on Tromeo and Juliet says that this is his favorite film. Mostly because there's a lot of sex in it. <laughs> I wonder if this is still his favorite film. I, I don't believe that this is James Gunn's favorite it. movie. Like, or even yeah. his favorite trauma movie. I don't believe that. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. So, yeah, I that's kind of like everything I've got for the first turn. Is there anything else you had? No, no, this was, uh, this is pretty much it, but we, hey, we, uh, we, uh, talked for it, about it for a little longer than I thought we would, so that's, oh, that's holy cool. shit, I'm just not seeing the time, yeah, wow, yeah. that's, uh, legit surprising. Yeah. All right, well, you can tell we actually, like, enjoyed this and wanted to get into it, unlike last week's episode. Yeah, <laughs> we're just like, Jeff needs to get to the beach, and, uh, we don't like, like I don't want to, I don't want to deal with this bullshit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome, so what are we, what are we doing next week? Okay, so next week we have a little bit of a conundrum because okay. the episode will be – so not the episode we're recording next week, but the episode we're recording the week after that, we have in fact already decided because it coincides with okay. a Hallmark holiday. That's a little hint to anyone about it. But that's a non-Lloyd Kaufman movie. So we've been alternating uh-huh. Lloyd Kaufman or non-Kaufman but we have to break that in order to get the timing right for two episodes from now. So yeah. do we want to do another Lloyd Kaufman, which will be then do two Lloyd Kaufman movies in a row? Or do we want to do a non-Lloyd Kaufman and then we do two non-Lloyd Kaufman movies in a row? For the record, I don't think our Mother's Day two-parter counts as no. two in a row. That was a very know. specific circumstance. Yeah. Um, and I even have a pitch of how we couldn't possibly – do both. All right. I'm in, I color me intrigued. Tales from the Crapper. Okay. Yeah. Now, if we do that one, though, that's going to take some work on our part. So for anyone that's unaware of Tales from the Crapper, most people probably never heard of this movie. Troma Studios financed 
um, the production of a horror film, and essentially the director completely fucked up and fucked off with the money, and they had a bunch of footage that they then pseudo compiled into a movie with Lloyd Kaufman directing scenes to piece it all together. The uh, DVD, which I in fact bought for Lucas and I have for myself, because this is one of the movies I've been always intrigued about exploring, specifically the DVD, that the movie is supposed to be atrocious, but the, mo- the disc features a full documentary on the making of the movie and how Troma had to salvage this production because they already had spent the money on it and they had no other option but to mm-hmm. put out a product. And so it's essentially the real thing that makes this movie interesting is everything that went wrong behind the scenes and their desperate attempts to salvage essentially a failed, not finished movie. And I have never watched it. I've never seen the documentary. And I've always been curious about it. And us doing this podcast gave me the excuse I needed to finally buy the DVD to find out, like, all right, what's going on? But I've been saving watching anything until we until we cover this, it. Uh, yeah, this podcast has given me an excuse to do a lot of weird things. So yes, it has. <laughs> um, I am excited to dig into Tales from the Crapper, even though it's supposedly atrocious. Do you want um, to do that one? Yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's do that. It's a good way to kind of because uh... it's both a Lloyd Kaufman movie, but it's also not a Lloyd Kaufman yeah. movie, and so that kind of like bridges the little gap we got there, and yep. and like I said, like we gotta wa- both watch the movie itself and the and the, doc. the document the documentary, and I also know there's a bunch of other things like Lloyd Kaufman does a commentary that if I have time, I also want to check that out because I'm sure cool. it's fascinating, like. This is for, like, the uh, real movie nerds in terms of, like, how things work behind the scenes on an independent film set. Awesome. Awesome. Well, yeah, so t- next week we've got Tales from the Crapper, and, uh, yeah. Um, and then for uh, th- those of you that uh, are capable of looking at a calendar or have been near the card section of a store lately can probably figure out what movie we're doing after that one. Yeah, I think so. Um <laughs> All right. Well, by the way, I've started researching that already. Uh Holy shit. Do I have some fucking information on that movie? We're going to have some, we're going to have some interesting episodes coming up here. Very excited. Uh, Well, thanks as always. And uh, thank you to all our listeners. Yeah. Thank you, everyone. Remember, find us on Twitter, find us on Facebook. Um, and if you have, like, have requests or anything for movies you want to see us cover, yes, we will cover every Lloyd Kaufman movie. You don't need to request a Toxic Avenger. But <laughs> if you want to request some of those like lots of known distributed movies, you know, let us know. We'll get to them. Cool. All right. Well, thank you, everyone. And, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next week.